Everybody doing okay? Okay, good. Hey, I wanted to give everyone a big thank you that helped out with the yard day yesterday. That was yesterday, yes. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. That's a huge part, uh, <clears throat> huge part of just what our church does. We've been doing that for many, many years. Uh, we've been in several different neighborhoods since the church has been around for the last seven years. Uh, funny story, because I have time at the 11, because you guys are just stuck with me, because we don't have any services after this one. So, um, so we were doing a yard day one time when we used to be right off the square on Lytle and Front Street, and we were back in those neighborhoods, back on like uh, Manny, Spring Street, College, Burton, all those kind of in that area. And uh, I kind of got this thing with, with, <laughs> with dogs. Like, I, I mean, I love dogs. I don't want like anyone to like mistreat dogs, but I just don't like fierce like dogs that have like those big chains that you use for, you know, like tow trucks and they're tied up to trees. I'm just not a big fan of that. So um, one day we were walk, walking around all these yards and I was by myself because <laughs> no one ever wants to do yard work with me. But anyways, so I'm walking around by myself and um, there's this pit bull and uh, it starts running at me like full force and I don't have anything because I was like, pick, I was on like trash duty. By the way, if you ever come to any community service events this church does, I guess it's just like this inversion of like, you know, I'm the pastor, so let's give him like the nastiest job. I always get like the worst job. So anyways, um, it was like that with the build out with everything we do. I'm the guy that just runs around with lumber, like, hey, who needs this? You know, um, so anyways, I'm picking up trash. <laughs> And uh, this dog starts running at me, like full speed, right? And so I just kind of freeze because you're told not to run from dogs, you know? So I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking that my stare or the Holy Spirit or something will stop this dog. And so I'm just looking at this dog and I go to like pick up a stick, you know, to like, because this dog's coming at me, I'm, you know, I'm gonna fight this dog. And it's running so fast and I didn't see the chain, but it gets to the end of its chain and it gets airborne. That's how fast it was running. And the whole time it's like, you know, and then it lands and it just keeps like trying to get at me because uh, it wants to eat me, and it's coming at me. And so I just kind of slowly, you know, walk my way down the block and get away from this house. And so I see this, uh, there's like four or five, like, middle school girls who are helping for the yard day, and they're cutting down that road. And I'm like, hey, girls, just be careful going down this way, because there's this dog, you know, and it tried to eat me. And they're just like, I think that's the dog we were just petting. And I was like, <laughs> of course you were, you know? It's a, but they were. They had been they had been petting uh, the dog that tried to uh, eat my face off, and and um, so um, that was like five years ago. And last night, I'm I'm thanking everyone for Yard Day, and Tina, who's been coming to the church forever, was sitting right over here, and she's like, "Tell them about the dog." And I'm like, "Okay, the dog." You know. So there, you heard about the dog, um, and I'm a wuss. So, anyways, so if you've never been to the church, uh, we've been studying the Book of Hebrews, I guess now for a month and a half, two months. And we're in chapter seven of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is in the New Testament. So in the later half of your Bible, towards the end, right before the book of James, okay? So we're doing the second half of chapter seven today. You should have got a notes handout. It's got everything I'm gonna say in front of you. Um, also, if you wanna use your phone, it's on that version app, which is really, really convenient. Um, but this is what we talked about last week. We got into some uncomfortable territory. We'll get into some uncomfortable territory today. But the uncomfortable territory that we got in last week was finances, money, right? And that wasn't the whole point of the lesson, but uh, basically talking about if we're faithful with our finances, if we're faithful with our time, with our energy, with our family, with our effort, our endeavors, that God is not only faithful back, but he will show us a better way to live than what we can do on our own. God has a better plan. And if we will just relent to him, he'll show us that better plan. It's essentially what we talked about, okay? Now, in the second half of chapter 7, this is what we're going to talk about. Now, I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to be exceptionally redundant. I'm going to say the same thing over and over and over again for quite a while today. So if you're just like, Corey, we get it, 
Um, it's because maybe I had such a hard time getting it, but this is what it is. We're going to talk about the fact that the law, the Ten Commandments, which I'll show you here in a second, the Ten Commandments will not create righteousness. Simply following the Ten Commandments does not make us good. That's what we're going to talk about. Only the author of the Ten Commandments can make us good. The crux of today's lesson is going, to be, is going to be this. Simply following the rules doesn't make one saved, not saved, righteous, unrighteous. It is inviting in Jesus into our life, working from the inside out, not the outside in, that makes us righteous, okay? Now, I'm going to say that a million times today, and I'll say it in different ways, but it's to prove that point or to push that point biblically, okay? I'm going to pray. Guys, I love you guys so much. We have such a great church. I just thank you guys so much for being here, and I appreciate you. And I was standing over here, and I just see people that I meet with and people that I talk to and just seeing how far God has brought some of you guys. Uh, I love you guys a lot, and I'm just so honored to get to do what I do. And, and um, so I'm going to pray for you. You're welcome to pray for me. And, and I just hope the Word, I hope it just challenges you today, and I hope it pushes you in a good direction today. Okay, let me pray. Father, Lord, we love you. God, be gracious with me today, Father, Lord. Help me to, to, to teach your word with accuracy and to teach it with compassion and love, God, and I hope that it honors you and how I teach it today. Father, I pray that you bless everyone who can hear me right now, everyone in this room who may be struggling, who has questions, who has doubts, who has fears. Uh, God, even the people who are living to the, the best of their abilities, Lord, I just pray that you continue to push them forward, God. Just keep your hand on us. Father, we also pray for every church in our community bigger ones, smaller ones. God, as long as they proclaim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Father, bless them, bless their leadership, God, and advance your kingdom through them, Father. Lord, we love you, God. Uh, thank you for the city we live in. Thank you for the freedoms that we have, God. And uh, just keep your hand on us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm starting in verse 11 of chapter 7 of the book of Hebrews. If you have not been with us at all, there might be some names mentioned that you don't know. It's okay. You can go back and, or you can just Google their names and you can quickly find out um, who these individuals are that we're talking about. Here we go. Verse 11. If then perfection came through the, the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? said to be in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. Now, what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is this. There was these Old Testament priests, the Levitical priests, that came from Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest, and after him, an order was established from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, that they would become these kind of appointed spiritual leaders. Now, the Levitical priests under this guy Aaron were good for a time because through this group, the law of God, which is the Ten Commandments, and there's about 600 other laws that were given to them, were given to this tribe from God, and from them, these Ten Commandments and these rules were enforced or taught to the people. Now, the problem was this. The Levitical priests could not change people's hearts, and they could not lead them into a deep relationship with God. They could teach the Word. They could expose right and wrong. They could help them in some ways, but ultimately, God has to draw people to Him. So, what the law did 
And what the teachers of the law did was simply expose right and wrong, simply expose what is sin and what is okay. Now, the law that we're going to focus on today is this, the Ten Commandments, okay? Now, if you've ever read this list before, maybe you know eight of the ten, or maybe you haven't heard all these, here they are for you. And I've broken them into two different categories. The first four are the laws pertaining to our relationship to God. These, have no other gods before God, make no idols, do not take the Lord's name in vain, and honor the Sabbath day. Which, by the way, you're following rule number four. There you go. So anyways, the first four pertain to you and God. The next six, oddly enough, God focused more on our relationship with each other in the Ten Commandments than our relationship to Him. The next six, six pertain to how we handle each other, how we deal with each other. Honor your parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal, and the one that most of us have an issue with, do not covet what other people's have. Do not long for or be jealous of what other people may have that you do not have. These are the Ten Commandments. Now, when we say the law today, that's kind of what I'm focusing on, these Ten Commandments, okay? So, the people in the Old Testament and the recipients of the book of Hebrews, about 40 years after Jesus uh, died and resurrected, all these people longed to know God. They wanted to have a relationship with God. They wanted to know the perfection that is God. But the Levitical priests and the Levitical law, like I said earlier, can only expose sin. It can only show imperfect people right from wrong. And now what it would take, now that the problem is exposed, is it now takes a perfect Savior to give them forgiveness of the sin and victory over the sin. And so the law was simply setting up the one who could come in and fix us. I'm going to say this again. Essentially, the Ten Commandments are like a diagnostic tool. So when you take your car into the shop, they run a diagnostic test. It tells you what's wrong with the car, but it doesn't fix the car. That's what the Ten Commandments do for us. What it takes then is it takes the mechanic coming in once the problem is exposed to fix the problem, to fix the engine. That's essentially the relationship Jesus has with the Ten Commandments. And now when there's a different leader, that now means that a different law is introduced. A lot of people misinterpret the Old Testament. There are whole denominations, Christian denominations, that don't even touch the Old Testament. They don't teach the Old Testament. And that is extremely foolish. Without the Old Testament, we don't even understand why Jesus came. We don't understand what His purpose was. And He didn't come to get rid of the ideas of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the laws of the Old Testament and show that only through Jesus can the Ten Commandments be adequately honored by people. Only through His power, only through His Spirit, can we honor the Ten Commandments. So essentially, what the Old Testament law was, is it was a safety net for the followers of God before the Spirit of God was given to everyone. It was a safety net until the Spirit was made available to us. And so verse 13 and 14, if you haven't been with us, the people that received this letter were doubting or having questions if Jesus was everything Jesus claimed to be, okay? They were Christians, but they were having some doubts. And so verse 13 and 14 alludes to the assumption that there's no way Jesus could be the Savior because He didn't come from the right bloodline. He didn't come from these Levitical priests who were the appointed spiritual leaders. He came from another line, the tribe of Judah. And Moses never mentioned 
that spiritual leaders came from the tribe of Judah. Now, if you don't know what that is, there was a lot of kings that came from this tribe. Uh, King David, King Solomon, two of the greatest kings in Jewish history, but not spiritual leaders, not priests. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus does not come on our terms and in the way we always want him to come. He comes on his terms, and he comes to do things that mankind has never done before. He came in a very unexpected way, and things had changed. So, unlike the temporary leaders of the Old Testament, and unlike the temporary laws of the Old Testament, Jesus is the eternal high priest that is continually ministering to us like a priest does or a pastor does. He ministers to us, and he stands in the gap between us and God. Now, here is the, the thesis, if you will, to all of today's lessons, or, or today's lesson, is that Jesus goes deeper. Not just what are we doing, not just are you following a list, not just are you doing what's right and wrong. He wants to go deeper and take us into a relationship with God. Instead of asking just what are we doing, Jesus says, why? Why are you doing it? And he wants to address the deepest issues of the heart. That's where Jesus wants to go with us. Not just what are we doing on the surface. Let's get way deep into this and expose the issues with the heart, okay? Let's talk about the law a little bit more though. And this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears who did not become a priest based on a legal command concerning physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever, this is referring to Jesus, in the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. For the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn that he will not change his mind and you are priest forever. So Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant or a better promise, okay? So essentially, there was a deficiency in the priesthood. The, Le the Levites, the, the, the spiritual leaders back in the Old Testament days, enforced the Ten Commandments. But since they were chosen by legal reasons, they weren't chosen because they were the best leaders or because their heart was in the right place or because they were great spiritual powerhouses. That's not where they were chosen. They were essentially born into it. And so because of that, the Jewish people had really good leaders at times. And they also had really terrible leaders at times, right? Just like history, when there's lines, lineages of kings, there's good ones and there's bad ones, right? And even when they're at their best, though, they were not everything the people needed. That's an important thing to remember. Even when people are at their best, they're insufficient when compared to God. So Jesus didn't come by legal reasons. He didn't come because he was just born into the right family. Jesus was a part of a new way. He wasn't from men, but he was from the righteousness of God like Melchizedek. If you haven't been here, Aaron represents the human way of doing things. Melchizedek represents the, the supernatural, the righteous, the godly way of doing things. 
So Jesus was chosen not because he was born into the right home. He was chosen by God because he was able, because of his goodness and righteousness. That's what made him a high priest. He also didn't come from physical descent. Now, I know Jesus was born on earth, like his mother Mary, and impregnated essentially by the Holy Spirit. It was this miraculous thing. I understand that. But Jesus has always existed. He's God. From the foundations of the earth and Genesis and all, God is, Jesus Christ has always been around. So he didn't come from a physical descent. He came from an indestructible source, God himself. So Jesus' ministry will never die. It would never go away. It will last forever. It will be constant and it will be consistent. And he's superior to man because of that. Now, here's something that's interesting and can be really, really taken incorrectly if we don't do a little bit of study. It says in here, and people have misinterpreted this greatly, that the law, the Ten Commandments, is unprofitable. Now, there's three statements made about the law. It says in this verse that I just read, that the law is weak, that the law is useless, and that the law has been annulled. Now again, what the purpose of the law is, is to show us a standard by which we can evaluate the moral condition. And that's why most of the laws we have in our country were loosely based off the Ten Commandments. That's why people fight for the Ten Commandments to be in courthouses and in schools. And and whether you agree with that or don't agree with that, these things kind of set the bar. They set the standard for what morality is. But where they are useless and where they are weak is in the fact that just because we simply know what is right and wrong does not produce spiritual vigor in us. It doesn't make us good. Just by knowing what the problem is doesn't mean that we're okay and that our hearts are good. Like I said, it's just a diagnostic tool. It just exposes the problem. It does not fix it. Only Jesus can fix the problem. The law simply exposes the problem. There's probably no better example of this in the New Testament than a conversation Jesus had with a very famous individual. We don't know his name, but we know who he is the rich young ruler. There was this young rich guy that, that walked up, and this story is not about money at all. That's very mistakenly, uh, uh, something we mistakenly do is we think this story is about money. But this rich young guy walks up to, to Jesus and he says, hey, how do I have eternal life? How, how, how am I saved? How do we have a relationship is what he was essentially asking. And Jesus says this, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments, do the 10 commandments. And the young man says, I've kept all these. I've done them all. I've followed the list. This is what the young man says. And he says, so what do I still lack? Jesus thinks for a second. He says, well, do this. Take everything you have, go sell it and give your belongings to the poor and you'll be saved. You'll have eternal life in heaven, eternal treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Now, what happens in the story is we learn a couple of things. One, by simply following the rules does not mean that we have a relationship with Jesus. This guy, quote unquote, followed the rules and he and, and he and Jesus did not have a relationship. The other thing we see though is this, and we'll lead into this next part, is that we cannot adequately follow the rules. The moral of that story is this guy had not followed rule number one, put God above all things. He valued his possessions more than he valued a relationship with Jesus. So we learn that following the rules doesn't make us good. And quite frankly, we can't even really follow the rules. So what is the function of the rules? What is the function of the law? Well, Paul, who is a guy that railed against the Old Testament law, said in Romans 3.20, without the law, we would not have the knowledge of sin. 
The, the, like I've said a hundred times already, the law exposes what the problem is. And without the commandments that God gave to Moses, we wouldn't even know what God expected out of us. We wouldn't know what right and wrong was. But the point simply remains that if we just follow the rules and there's not a change of our desires, a change of our hearts, we do not have an authentic relationship with God. The other curveball is this. Since there was a change in the way things were done, a change in priesthood, it was impossible for men to follow the law, for men and women to follow the law. We couldn't do it. And even if we think we do a good job of it, Jesus exposed to us in Matthew chapter 5 that even when we think that we're following all Ten Commandments, we're really not. It's impossible. And so people came to Him. They said, Jesus, we do all these things. Look, let's, let's pull out the list. I do all of these things. And Jesus thought for a second, he said, hey, you say you've never committed adultery. You ever lusted after another woman? Well, yeah, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, okay, you got me on that one. I've never killed anyone. Jesus thinks again. He says, you ever hated anyone? Well, yeah. Well, then you've committed murder in your heart. And so what Matthew 5 shows us is, is that we cannot hold up to God's standards. God set the bar here and there's no way that humans can reach it, except if we let the one that created the rules inside of us, we can live up to those standards. Here's the thing, Jesus came to fulfill the law and to hold those standards up for us. Here's what happens. Christians are imper or I'm sorry, humans, well, Christians too. Humans are imperfect and we will always be imperfect. We will never be able to live adequately and honor the 10 commandments of God. So what Jesus does when we accept Christ into our life and we're filled with his spirit, he blankets over us. So when God the Father looks down on imperfect people, he doesn't see their imperfections, he only sees the righteousness of Jesus. The only way to be righteous and honor the righteous law is to have the author of the righteous law inside of us. So God looks down and he doesn't see our imperfections. He sees Jesus. That's why you're called Christians. That's why we're followers of Jesus. He blankets over us and God only sees that perfection. So righteousness only comes through Christ. The ability to be good and to have a relationship with God only comes through God's Son. And again, the law identifies the state of the heart, but only Jesus can fix the heart. Again, the Ten Commandments, okay, I'm not as good as I thought I was. What do I do? I let the author of the law come into my life. And our hope comes from the fact that he knows we can't make the mark, but his grace bridges the chasm between our deficiencies and God's perfection. This is a horrible analogy, but it's the best one I can think of. So when we shoot at a target, right, there's a target. I get my bow and arrow, I do the best I can, I've practiced, I've got a steady hand, I've got good vision, I take the best shot I can at this target, and I always miss the bullseye. I make it close, but I always miss the bullseye. Grace and God's goodness and His love for us does this. Hey, Corey, what's that over there? And he pulls out the arrow and sticks it right in the center of the target. And when I turn around, he's like, hey, good shot. That's essentially what he does for us. Without his help, I can never hit the mark, but with his help, with his help, I can honor God and I can live to the standard that the Lord wants me to live at, but it's only through his power, only through his Holy Spirit. 
And this ability, this grace, is something that God swore to us by an oath. Unlike the promises of man, when God makes an oath, He does not change His mind and He does not break it. His strength, if you're worried about that, if you're questioning that, does God break His promises? When He said, I swear everything to you, He put everything in. He gave His only Son. Essentially, God was saying this, and I don't believe God's a betting God, but He says, if we're going to make a bet, if I'm going to swear, here's my Son. I've put everything into this. He's given everything. And Jesus' character, His sacrifice, the power of the resurrection, pledge the strength to this new promise, this new covenant that God has given us. And it takes the power of the cross. It takes the power of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to heal and change the hearts of mankind. And the only time, I found this interesting, the only time the word guarantee is used in the entire New Testament, the only time it's used is in verse 22. And it's just re-emphasizing, I've said all this, I promise all this, I guarantee it. The law had failed in producing godly character. Let me get on a side note for a second again, because you're the 11 o'clock and you're just stuck with me for a while. Christians are obsessed with passing laws, thinking that that will legislate morality. If we can just pass these laws, people will be good. I don't mean to get into, into uncomfortable territory, and I'm not trying to pick on any demographic of people or anything like that. If I'm not mistaken, unless it's been repealed in the last couple of years, it was against the law. Sodomy was against the law in the state of Tennessee ever since Tennessee's inception. It was against the law for two men to have sexual uh, um, actions with each other. Did that stop that from happening? The answer is no. It happens. And so what we think, though, is if we just pass this law, then people will not think these impure thoughts or do these impure things. Guys, and I'm not advocating for a lawless society, but what we've done is we've gotten the cart before the horse. God never intended the law to produce good people. He intended the law to just expose that we need Him. The law is simply there to expose that we have an issue. Making laws doesn't change the hearts of man. Only Jesus changes the hearts of man. And if we would focus on propagating Jesus more than propagating laws, the laws will follow. Right? But what we try to do is we try to reduce a relationship with God to a set of rules. I'll just let you in on this. If you try to reduce your marriage to a set of do's and don'ts, you're not going to have a very good marriage. Why do we think our marriage with our heavenly husband is any different? So the law exposes sin, but it does not absolve sin. The diagnostic test exposes that you have a problem with your car. It doesn't fix your car. We must also know that we cannot completely follow the law. It is impossible. That is why we depend on the Holy Spirit of God and the grace of God. We also know that following rules is not a relationship with God, but seeking Him first will lead us to want to honor the commands of God. Here's what it means. Does following the Ten Commandments make you love God? No. But does loving God make you want to follow the Ten Commandments? Yes. Pretty simple stuff. Do works save us? No. But when we're saved, we want to do good works? Yes. Absolutely. Simple. See, I could have just said that and that whole part would have been wrapped up, right? I wasted all that time. <laughs> so how many 
I'm sorry. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. I love this next part. For this is the kind of high priest that we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the priests do for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once when he offered himself. For the law appoints high priests, men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Now, there's a lot in this part. It's pretty easy to wrap your, your, your head around this part. Uh, the ways of men and the leadership of men is not permanent. Why? Because men and women die. We just die off. So in the Levitical priesthood, men and women would die off, and they only had men at this time, but the men would die off, and they would appoint new men to lead. So another way that Jesus is superior to the leadership of mankind is mankind dies, and He doesn't. He's permanent. He's consistent. He's always there. And so because the leaders were appointed, they would have good leaders. They would have bad leaders. It was inconsistent. But Jesus is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says that in verse 13, 8, which we'll get to here in a couple of weeks. The other side of this is people will let us down. Even the best of people will let us down. Now listen, we are called to respect and honor people in authority, all realms of authority, especially men and women who are appointed by God. Listen, I'm not just saying that because I'm a pastor, and quite frankly, I don't want all of you guys to call me pastor all the time. Funny story. It's funny now. Um, when the church was about 300 people, we were doing work somewhere. I can't remember yard day or at the church, and I'm working on something. This is me working on something. I'm working on something, and someone said, hey, pastor, what about this? And like, I just keep working. And they're just like, hey, pastor, do you want us to do this? And I just keep working. And then after like the fourth time, I was like, oh, they're talking to me. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 because I'd never been called pastor before. But it was just kind of interesting and, and humbling. I had lunch with the, uh, the pastor of First United Methodist here in town last week. And uh, we went out to lunch. And I, whenever I meet another pastor, I, I call him pastor. I just, I'm very uncomfortable calling him by their first name. I say, hey, pastor. And if I find out you have a PhD, I call you doctor or whatever. I just, it's one of those things. You worked hard to earn it. I'm going to call you that. And so he kept saying, call me by my first name. And I'm like, I'm just going to call you pastor. And so we go out to lunch and we're sitting there and he's just like, hey, you know, where did you get your education? I'm like, well, I just got an undergrad at MTSU in English. And I was like, well, what about you? Where'd you get educated? And he goes, well, you know, got my PhD from Vanderbilt. And I'm like, all right, you'll be doing all the talking. So um, <laughs> anyways, just a, it's just a respect issue. Here's the thing, though. Even as intelligent as guys like he, uh, he is, and, and Pastor David Young that was here, who also has a PhD from Vanderbilt, intelligent and good as these men are, um, they're going to let us down, just on the most basic level. Inevitably, with a church of 2,500 people or however many we run here, two people are going to get married on the same day. So you might have to have, God forbid, Corey or Josh or someone else do your wedding. That was a joke. They're excellent, right? But I will even let you down. We will let you down on that level. Just, just we can't meet the needs of absolutely everyone all the time. And even Paul said there are men and women worth imitating. Paul even said, 
Uh, follow me as I follow Jesus, like follow my example. But we must not make idols out of people because we will be let down. And I know ministers are called to a higher standard. I know what the scripture says about that. If I'm going to stand up here and teach you the word, I better practice what I preach and do the best I can. We are to be held to a higher standard. But I'm telling you, we need to have grace. Even if ministers fall and they, they did awful things, there was a minister who was in charge of all the evangelical churches in the world uh, four or five years ago that not just did he, did he fall, I mean, he was like doing methamphetamines and he was having an affair on his wife and it was awful. But instead of Christians lifting that family up in prayer, instead of them restoring, instead of us being brokenhearted that a man of God would, would fall to these temptations that he might've been fighting with for decades, we just, terror, we just tore him apart. We just made fun of him. And that is not what brothers and sisters do. Would you do that to your brother and sister? God, I hope not. So we don't do that to each other. This bond should be even tighter than flesh and blood. So here's the point. We imitate certain people. We, we find men and women that we respect and that are intelligent and following God and we follow them. But ultimately, our eyes are always set on Jesus. Jesus can meet our needs. He can meet our expectations. He can go further than our expectations. He's able to save us now. He's able to save us in eternity. He mediates between us and God the Father. He's opened the door for us to be healed, for us to be restored through what he did on the cross. And his attention is always on his people. Now, again, I can only give one person my undivided attention at a time. If all of you were to bow your heads and close your eyes right now and say, God, I need all of you right now, he can do that. He can give all of you his undivided attention simultaneously, but he's the only one that can do that. And so I love what the author said. Though we follow Paul, follow Peter, follow good men and women in our lives, Jesus is the kind of priest we need. And what he's saying is even the best men and women, there's this huge divide between even the best people and the goodness of God. Jesus is holy. He's innocent. He's the perfect accomplishment of everything God required. There's no blame or guilt that can be put on Christ because he's committed no offense. He's committed no sin. He's free of any moral wrongdoing. He is perfect. He goes on to say, that Jesus is separated from sinners, not in distance. If you're in here and you're living in sin, Jesus is right next to you. He's close to you, but he's distant from us in his nature. He doesn't hold racism and bigotry and hatred and frustrations and jealousies. He doesn't have those things. He's very different from us in his nature. But the amazing thing about us and our relationship with Jesus is when we invite Jesus in, regardless of what our nature is now, we start to take on the nature of Jesus. If we're hot-tempered, the Bible says not to be hot-tempered, men. If we're hot-tempered, when we take Jesus into our life, we start to take on his nature, which means our temperament settles down. We start to talk like him and think like him and act like him and respond like him and love like him and show grace like him. We're not perfect, but we're gravitating towards perfection. We will receive perfection when we get into heaven, but we start moving that direction now. He's also exalted above the heavens. Jesus is not just a good man. If you talk to any atheist agnostic or someone who's, who's just very confused about the whole biblical approach, most of them, not all, but most of them will at the very least say Jesus was a great man. He helped the poor. He, he helped the impoverished. He loved those that couldn't do things for themselves. He was a good man, but he's more than that. 
He's divine, and his name is above all names. That's why we don't use it frivolously. That's why we don't take it for granted. That's why we don't use it abusively, because his name is important and it's powerful. He's not just a priest, he's the priest. And not because someone has appointed him, but because the power of God. Jesus has experienced the human condition. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He's experienced that. So he shows compassion to us. And when he was tempted and when he was tried and when his buttons were pushed, he didn't cave. He didn't give in and yield to the temptations. While he was on earth, he's above the heavens. And everything Jesus has done, he did for our benefit. If you've never heard of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, the reason why that doctrine is so important is God does not need us. He has perfect community within Himself. And the Levitical priests had to make a sacrifice. They had to go, if I was the Levitical priest and you were the Jews, before I sacrificed for your sins, I would have to go in front of God and say, God, I've done all these horrible things. Here's an animal. Let me do all these things for you. Please forgive me. Then I can do something for you. Jesus didn't have anything to ask forgiveness for, so absolutely everything Jesus did was for your benefit and my benefit, not His. He didn't have to waste any time on Himself. He did everything for us. He had to make one sacrifice Himself. He had to make one sacrifice, and that one sacrifice paid for it all. It paid for all the sin, the shame, the guilt, everything we had done wrong in the past, and it pays for everything in the future. And that one act opened up the floodgate, the door, so all of us can be fixed. Not just a diagnostic that we're good or bad, but now we can fix the engine. Now we can fix the problem. And so to bring it all together, in my redundancy, the law appoints men who are weak, quoting the Scripture, meaning that we cannot depend simply on following the rules to produce righteousness in us. Again, I've said it a million times, the law only exposes the problem. But once the problem is exposed by the law, then the Savior must come in and rework the heart, and the Savior must come in and rework the mind, and He must fix the broken engine. He must fix the problem, but we have to let him do that. You can take your car and get a diagnostic test and they can tell you everything that's wrong and you can disregard that and just drive away. But the wise person says, where's the mechanic? Let them fix this. Let them heal this. Let, the, let them take care of this. Okay, I'm on this big honesty kick because I guess we should always be on a big honesty kick, right? But when we come into church, we do a good job of putting a facade in church. Hey, we're all good. Everyone's good. How you doing? Great. Everything's great. Great, right? <laughs> and we put on this huge facade. So, we're going to do an exercise here. Not really. You can stay seated. Um, we're going to be really, really honest with ourselves. You ready? I'm going to ask you two very big questions. And there's two different camps that some of you might fall into. Okay, you ready? Here we go. The first one is this. We know, because I've said it 600 times today, that the Ten Commandments expose sin. Have some of us in this room bought into the lie that simply following the rules creates righteousness? Many of you who come from legalistic backgrounds, you probably fall into this camp. If I just follow these rules, I'll be okay. 
I came from a denomination that had rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of rules, and it was impossible. Uh, one of the rules in the denomination I came from, and I'm not trying to be a jerk, and I'm not trying to ruffle feathers, we couldn't go to the movie theater because, you know, just bad things happen at the movie theater. We could go to bowling alleys where you could smoke, drink, and listen to 50 Cent while you're bowling, but we couldn't go to the movie theater. <laughs> so, <laughs> couldn't go to the movie theater, which is rough, and I remember when episode two came out, I'm like, God, I love you. I'm not going to go to the movie theater because I, I said I wouldn't for this church that I work for. Walk into the office one day, and all the guys in the office have a laptop open, and they're watching something. And it was a pirated copy of episode two. So I walk in, and I'm kind of like, so I can't go to the movie theater, but you guys are breaking one of the Ten Commandments because you just stole that. Because the law... If we think that rules produce righteousness, it's always going to lead us into hypocrisy. So, this is camp number one. And if you're in that camp, I was in this camp for a long time. I'm out of it now, I feel like. Here's the other extreme. Some people believe that just following the rules makes us good. The other extreme is some people don't think there's any rules. God has no standards, right? Have we convinced ourselves that because God loves us, there are no boundaries? Because God loves us, He turns a blind eye to our sins. There are no rules. Just love. I love love, right? I hear Christians say that all the time. I love love. And so there's this other camp that believes there are no standards. There are no boundaries. You know what's interesting about that? Jesus said in the book of John, if you love me, you will thank you. You will keep my commandments. The commandments aren't there just because, you know, for fun. God didn't inscribe those on tablets and give them to Moses just for the heck of it. There's a reason why they're there. So here's the two camps. Now let's go a little bit deeper, right? Let's go a little bit deeper. Are we simply looking for a God that affirms choices we've already made? It's starting to sting now, right? A lot of us don't open up the Bible because we know that that's not going to affirm the life that we've chosen. People come to me all the time. They say, Corey, I'm thinking about doing this. Let me give, give you an example. Hey, I'm thinking about buying a $40,000 car. Do you have $40,000 in the bank? Nope, I'm going to take out a huge loan for this $40,000 car. I already have student loans and all these other things. What do you think about that? And I'll show them Scripture that says that they shouldn't do that. I'll, I'll pray about it and say, man, I've been, I've been talking to the Lord. You should not do this. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family. And then after I give them all this counsel and do all this research and put all this time into it, they just say, well, I already bought the car. So you didn't really want my opinion. You didn't really want God's opinion. You just wanted God and you wanted the pastor to say it's okay for you to keep doing what you're doing. We're just looking for God to affirm choices we've already made. Now, do we do that or do we crack this sucker open with the intent, God, whatever you have to say to me, I just want to follow you. I don't want you to affirm me, God. I want to affirm you. I want to be made in your image. I'm not going to try to make you into mine. You're perfect. I'm not. Do we open this thing with that attitude? Now, here's another one. We just keep getting digger, deeper and deeper. I ask you if you love Jesus. And of course, yes, yes, love Jesus. Do we love the fact that Jesus grooms us? I'm not saying we love it when He's doing it. I'm not saying it's fun to have things cut off you. I'm not saying it's not painful when God puts you through the ringer. When gold comes out pure, it's had the temperature turned up on it quite, quite high. It's the only way it can be refined. But listen, let me, let me spin it a different way. Do we love it when God cuts things off? No, that kind of sucks. But 
Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe loves us so much that He gives us our undivided attention and He is doing everything He can to get our attention so He can make us into everything that we can be? Do we love the fact that God even cares enough about us to instruct us that He is a personal God? He's not way off there somewhere just saying, whoop, you're on your own. He's there with us. He's there with us. Do you love that? Last part. And guys, I'm not trying to be all epic and whatever. This question has been on my mind all week. Let me tell you what, as this church has grown, and I don't mean this boastfully, in the last three years, it's gone from seven to 2,500. And that's, that's great. I'm glad all of you are in this room. I'm glad you're hearing the gospel. But what that's done, because I can't follow up with all of you individually, because I don't, I don't know all of you. There are people who have been coming here for years that I've never shaken your hand. Now, it's awesome that you're coming and we love that, but I want to ask you, why are you here? What brought you in the room today? Are you here out of obligation? Are you here out of guilt? Did you do something this weekend that you feel guilty about? And if I can just get into church, that'll buy me enough time until the next time. Why are you here? What brought you in? Did you just hear it was a cool place? Are you here because you're trying to impress a girl or because your spouse just wants you to be here? Why are you here? Are you here for selfish gain because you heard that the church is benevolent and maybe we'll give you some money? What, what brought you here? Just a little curveball on this. Ultimately, you're here because God designed it to be that way. But why are you here? We have the opportunity, listen, we have the opportunity right now, together, we have the opportunity to engage the Creator. Not just engage the Creator, but the Creator wants to have a relationship with us. When you go outside and the sun hits your skin and you feel the warmth of it, the one that spoke that into existence, His Spirit is here, willing and able to start a relationship with you and I. Why are you here? Why are you here? Would you bow your heads with me? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I don't mean to make anyone uncomfortable. If you're in this room and you are not a believer, you are not a professing Christian. You may not even know if there's anything up there. You might be agnostic. You might be flat-out atheist. If you're in this room, at the risk of sounding all churchy, you're here because God has put you here. Now, the response is up to you. Now, look, if you're genuinely looking for the truth, if you have come here with legitimate questions, if you will be vulnerable enough to just ask, God, if you're up there, let me feel something. God, if you're up there, send someone to me here. Just let me know that you're real. I am so confident that if you're genuinely seeking that God will send someone your way, He will do something in your life. He will do everything He can to get your attention. I believe that. If you're in here and you know that there is a God, you know that His name is Jesus, I just want to ask you, what brought you in today? Is it a fear of hell? Is it an obligation? Is it just because people in the South go to church? 
Is it here because your wife drug you here? Why are you here? Be honest. Regardless of what brought you in, though, I want you to know that you're here because God has wanted you to be here. God drew you here for such a time as this, and something was spoken today for every single person in this room that God wanted you to take note of. Are you listening? As your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, we have no time constraint, guys. It's 12.30. If you get to lunch a little bit late, it's okay. If you don't get to your yard work till a little bit later, it's okay. There's communion on the right and left that represents the body and the blood of Jesus. Everyone is welcome to take that as long as you've asked God to forgive you. There's also people up here on my right and left, men and women, my left, your right, that if you have anything you need prayer for, any questions you need asked, any concerns or stress, or if you came in here because you did something wrong or because you feel guilty, or, go let them pray for you. Take your time. Talk to the Lord. Use your mouth and ask Him, God, I need you. God, what am I doing? Expose what's wrong in me. Just take this time to communicate with the Lord. You have the opportunity to have a relationship with the Creator. Father, we love you. God, we praise you, Lord. Thank you for everyone that's in this room right now. God, Lord, let them know that they are here for a very divine purpose. God, Lord, let our ears be open. Let our antennas be in tune with you, God. Thank you for your son that died for us, Jesus. And for everyone who chooses to take communion today, God bless them. For everyone who chooses to get prayed for, God bless them. For everyone, Lord, who doesn't respond at all, I pray, God, that you just get their attention. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. And we do all of this in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself to communion and prayer. Please be respectful of other people.